0: You could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions. And that means the world to me. And I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions
1: podcast.
0: Thanks so much.
1: Good morning, everybody. And it's interesting that we are talking about how to become the world's greatest salesman considering, I don't know how it happened, but somehow I have the privilege of sharing a segment with two of the greatest salespeople that I know, Brian Benstock and David Spizak. Babs is on a little bit of a vacation, unless she's here, it's surprising me, she's not. So I wanna start off with just an open thing with David. I know you unmuted first. What is your your initial takes on this idea of how you can become one of the greatest salespeople?
2: Well, thank you, Raylan, I appreciate it. You know, it's funny, I think the best salespeople in the world actually don't, uh, in reality, sell. I mean, they don't sell with the level of, um, the way that most people think that selling takes place. I think that when people hear the word selling, they oftentimes revert back to a terrible experience that they had with a salesperson who tended to be very heavy-handed, one-sided, dominating the conversation, pushy, high pressure, that's not selling. It's a misperception. People that are phenomenal salespeople really understand uh, what Zig Ziglar said um, in See You at the Top, his great book, See You at the Top. And that is that you could get everything that you want in life just by helping enough other people get what they want in life. And Brian and I happen to know a gentleman named Ali Rita, who is... (laughs) the world's greatest salesman when it comes to auto dealerships um you know a typical dealership in the country is selling 1200 to 1500 cars a year um you know Brian's store is at just on a different planet you know because they're selling you know closer to 12,000 to 15,000 cars a year but they're just they are literally a unicorn but an average store Might do about 1,500 cars a year. Ali Rita is doing that all by himself. And he's not selling um, Teslas. He's not selling Toyotas or Hondas. He's selling Cadillacs and GMCs. And he's not doing it in LA or New York City or Chicago. He's doing it in Detroit, Michigan. So, I mean, talk about defying the odds. And when you sit down and you have the opportunity to speak with Ali, And to talk to him he is obsessed with his customers the world's greatest salespeople it turns out are obsessed with their clients they're obsessed with the fact that their clients are clients and not customers they understand the difference very well customers are one-time transactions typically short-term relationships and there's no recurring revenue that wouldn't work for ali rita He's got multiple generations who have bought from him. And you do that by turning customers into clients. Clients have long-term relationships, and there's a you nurture that relationship on an ongoing basis. He understands that. So he's obsessed with turning customers into clients, clients into advocates, advocates into champions, who then in turn lift him up and amplify him as the guy to buy from. But he's also obsessed with their experience, the client's experience before, during the transaction, and yes, after the transaction. So I'll start with that and pass it to Brian because Brian knows Ali uh, better than I do. And Brian happens to hang out with some of the world's greatest salespeople on a daily basis. Brian, what's your thoughts?
3: Good morning, David, and good morning. Raylan and everybody else in the, in the room yeah Ali Rita is a, a unicorn for sure uh, he's got the quality of niceness which I think goes a long way but when we're talking about how, how to become uh, a great salesperson or uh, one of the greats in sales you know I think you got to look at the underlying reason the, the why what what why sales and why is it important and you know I, I think when you look back at sales uh, it's in everything that we're doing when you talk about the uh, the best salespeople being uh, passionate about their customers you know what first came to my mind was jeff bezos the second person that came to my mind was, was uh, uh, uh our friend tim cook over there at apple uh the, these guys are obsessed with the client experience with the product and and that I, so it's, it starts there and and when we go to the why uh, you know i think uh, many people are. They want to be influencers, and they think that that's great, and that would be a great vocation to have. And isn't influencing really the uh, selling, causing people to feel, think, and most importantly, act in a predetermined manner? That's what selling is. So, when you see the success of a Kim Kardashian, you know, and somebody said, "Well, she was famous for doing nothing other than being famous." Well, that, that's not true. You know, she was. You know, absolutely was a trendsetter. Is a trendsetter, uh, and, and she. Moves more material and product than, you know, probably any other single person that, that comes to, to mind. Uh, and, and and she's this, quote-unquote, influencer. Michael Jordan, for his entire career, made more money in sales than he ever did playing basketball. And it is that it, his ability to se- uh, to sell that's continuing to make his brand uh, give him nonstop recurring revenue. So, you know, I, I think the reason to be in sales, it, it is such an important uh, position. Uh, Warren Buffett credits most of his success, or a lot of his success, to taking a selling course coming out of college, You know, learning how to sell. And, and, and if you're an entrepreneur, you're selling. You're selling the marketplace, you're selling potential shareholders, you're selling potential employees. And I, I think our, our craft uh, is going to be what we rely on to get us out of the storm that we're we're fast, fastly getting into. You know, the the world is not going to be able to contract its way to prosperity. It's going to have to sell its way. And I think that's really what what I'm looking forward to out of any of the bad that may be coming up for us. And there is some turbulence that the ability to get back to selling, selling our ideas, selling our thoughts, selling our products, and selling the ideals behind the great nation that we live in. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Brian, uh, I said, Brian, tell me how to become the world's greatest salesperson, and you sold me on how you sold me on the idea of becoming the world's greatest salesperson. That's that's how I know you're good at sales. Is you just sold me? Well, on you selling. know, at, at, the you basis, sell, at the basis, the
3: basis, <laughs> at the basis of all good salesmen is is, is a fun, fundamental truth, right? You, you, I could never sell or represent a product I didn't believe in, and you know, I was in um, Amsterdam, and there their rep- representatives from, from Honda were there in the front row. Honda has no market share in Amsterdam whatsoever. And I saw these gentlemen, I said, guys, what are you doing? Our products are the best in the world. And they, they I said, you know, we, we sell, Paragon sells in one month more Hondas than the entire country of Amsterdam. in one does in a year, in a year. And I said, you, you guys, just you got to stick your chest out. I saw all this junk on the road, these little tiny European cars I wouldn't be caught dead in. And I said, we're not talking about the, the attributes, the, the, the quality and everything else that we have. And by the way, what do you guys like over here in Europe? You like Formula One. Who won Formula One last year? It, it wasn't, uh, what was the name of it? Was it wasn't Red Bull. It was Red Bull driven with a Honda motor. The damn thing was a Honda, so why are we talking about that? And I went off on this tangent, railing, like I am now. And they said, "Well, you really believe in what you're, you're saying?" I'm like, "Absolutely." So you know, Grant's got a great book, right? Wrote a million years. Seller be, Seller be sold. Yeah. And and it, it, the book itself, I remember reading it, and I thought, well, it's Grant Cardone book. It's kind of like a coloring book." As I'm getting through the book, man, it was gold. I called. This is years ago. Called Grant. up I said, "Give me a hundred of them." Just get 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 100 of them, uh, and gave it out to the entire team. and And Grant will be the first to tell you there was misspellings and bad, uh, you know, things weren't written 100 percent grammatically correct. But it didn't matter. You, you, the content was golden. Well, I think
1: it's it's written, beautiful but, you know, the beautiful that is that that it gets you in the door, right? Right. Like so, I that was one of my first books when I got into sales, my first entry level sales job. I I picked up that book because that was my my leader told me, hey, you gotta got to read this book. So Brian, you're, you're definitely on to something. I do, I do think everyone needs to read that book for sure. And so let me just I'm kind of writing these down for everybody. So do you think it's it's finding your why as a salesperson? Is that what you're saying? Or just- No, believing- no, no. I'm saying,
3: I, I'm saying understand why you would get into sales in the first place. First okay. of all, whether you like it or not, you're in sales, right? Yeah, from the time you're uh, the, the first, from the time you're born, right? Uh, you, when you're a little baby, and you wanted something, you, you sold your mom, and you had different techniques for selling your mom. It may be crying, it may be screaming to get something, but you, you know, you knew how to get what you wanted. When we, you know, Grant tells this story a thousand years ago, your mom's pushing a shopping cart, down uh, past the, sh- the cereal aisle, and, and and the child recognizes something maybe it saw on television or maybe it had before, Cocoa Puffs or whatever it is, and, and the child wants it, mom says, no, you're not getting it. That kid will scream the, the supermarket down to get what that, that child wants. So from a very early age, we're learning how to use different techniques and methodologies to get to get what we want. And as that becomes a craft, understanding that your ability to Influence inspire motivate whether it be an audience or a customer or potential customer uh, or, or, or you know, I mean if you're a doctor it's talking about here's how we're gonna get through this. What's the vision? Here's how we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it together And here's what it's gonna look like on the other side giving people confidence that they can do things selling it is such an art and and people somehow it got a bad name uh, you know, maybe it's the guy in the white shoes and the plaid pants and the pinky rings that gave it a bad uh, name. But when you, when you you look at some of the best speakers in the world, uh, whether it be a Barack Obama or a John F. Kennedy uh, or a Martin Luther King, these these people were incredible salespeople because they were able to influence, right, cause people to see, think, and act in a predetermined manner. And the best ones do it by connecting to your heart and making you feel something making you feel something, that causes you to move. And I think that's the passion and the magic of our profession, what we do.
2: You know, Brian, you, you brought up a couple of things I don't want uh, people to gloss over. One of them is, you know, if you feel like you're hard selling um, somebody or you feel awkward selling, uncomfortable selling, it probably is a indication or an indictment that you actually do not uh like brian said that you're breaking rule number one you don't believe heart and soul in the product because if you don't believe in it then yeah you got to do a different type of selling than what selling is supposed to be you're you know rather than influencing educating uh somebody turning them on to something that you absolutely believe in heart and soul you have to push them on something that you wouldn't buy yourself and and that's
3: and that's and that's that's manipulation Manipulation exactly. is that's not influencing, not and it's not selling.
2: Yeah, and and it's uh, it's so so that's not where you want to be. Second thing is when you mention the word influence. A it was Steve Greenfield sent me a book one time. Great book. I think it's called. He's influence. so bright. Uh, he's so bright. He's so smart. He uh, so he sends me this book, Brian. That was so brilliant because what it did is it had t- uh, twenty or thirty of the greatest presentations of all time. And what it did is it broke down uh, those those presentations. One of them was Martin Luther King. One of them was Steve Jobs. I mean, there were some uh, people from all walks of life. But it literally also showed you the science, and it showed you the impact on somebody's brain when they went through this and how he, they literally, like a conductor, you know, took them on this beautiful ride, this beautiful journey, Um, To help them really get excited and and to amplify the things that were most important. We all remember famously Steve Jobs 2007 holding up that first iPhone But if you go back and you watch what Steve Jobs did there was nothing about it. That was random. It was all uh, uh, Done in a very well. Yeah,
3: that's that's the art of selling when you set the table Uh, You know, we call that setting the table, right? You know, that's right But but you set the table before you serve the appetizer, you know And then before you serve the main course you have the appetizer before we get to the dessert and people that we know Like like a Sean Wolfington man, he he, I I know Sean so well and for so long I can see him coming a million miles away, but Sean would set the table well in advance, you know and and, you know any any of the people that it's not just a hey, how are you bam and hit them with the This is what I want you set the table you get to know the person and what what's important to them And and, and, I, and I love that vision. You know, we can all think of the easy examples of Martin Luther King I have a dream and and it puts you in that person's position And then he expands on the dream and then that becomes part of what you're seeing, you know, or you think of a a uh, uh, Winston Churchill. We will fight in the air, land, and sea, and we will never, never, never give up. And and you know, it makes you want to grab a you know gun and be on the side of the good guys, you know. And and the, these are speeches that have had monumental impacts on the world. And those speeches are really selling a thought or an idea, and causing somebody to feel a certain way, to think a certain way, and, and again, most importantly, to act. Uh, a certain way and, I, and and again that's a that's a, a craft and art something to be proud of uh, not and we're not talking about manipulation do, is there any doubt that when Martin Luther King said what he said he believed what he said is there any doubt when, when JFK is giving that speech ask not what your gov- you your government can do for you but ask what you can do for your government didn't that just give you a freaking paradigm shift hey yeah wait a second you know I mean oh my gosh and what what Reagan, any of these great orators, and in the sixth sense, you know, an, an Adolf Hitler, in a sixth sense, it can be, you know, it can be misguided and misused, uh, as well. well and they, and
2: they, they they know that. And, and Brian, I want to circle back to a second thing you mentioned. Hey, rule number one: you got to believe in what you're selling. You got to buy into it. You got to love it yourself. The second thing is: how many times have you met in your 40 years of your great career? Um, somebody either in the car business or outside of it, who was embarrassed of being a salesperson. I've met so many real estate agents. Every time I met a real estate agent that said, you know, and I said, hey, how long have you been in sales? I'm not a salesperson, I'm a real estate agent. Okay, well, they told me all I needed to know about their level of success right there. So isn't it equally important or just nearly as important for them to believe and have a sense of pride in what they do for a living as
3: a seller? We, we have a, a very good uh, statement here at Paragon that I haven't had to use uh, in a long time. Uh, it's called believe or be leaving because uh, if you don't believe you're going to be leaving and thankfully I've got believers. Uh, I've got people that believe in what we do believe in the manner that we do it believe that we make a difference uh, not just in, in our little community but really an impact. Uh, we, we are commodities brokers. Uh, David Spisak, what we do at Paragon. We contribute more money to the tax base of New York State than any other industry and our dealership by virtue of the fact that we sell a lot of cars, is one of the top contributors to the tax base. That pays for the firemen, the policemen, the roads and every everything else. So I, I think what we do is incredibly important and, and so that's what I believe, right? So it's not just selling a car and delivering a car, but every time we sell a car right, we generate two, three, four thousand dollars and state sales tax. That sales tax does a lot of good in in our communities and and, and educating people on that. So you're not just selling a car for a commission, but you're you're really part of the giant ecosystem. I also believe, David, that we contribute 20% to the the national economy. 20% of all people in the United States of America have their employment in one way or another around the automobile business. you can dispute that all you want but think of manufacturing tires steel every alloy rubber insurance banking uh, advertising uh, computer aided design uh, glass you, you you petroleum products now battery electric products. you name it the, this industry touches on it and I will say this you look back to 2008 2009 the Great Recession And you know what got us out of that? You know what Barack Obama did that got us out of that? He put $3 billion into the automobile industry in cash for clunkers. You take a look at that program, and you take a look at when that economy starts to turn around, and they happen at the exact same time. Because you can't build one car without hiring tens of thousands of people. When you hire those people, you can't sell a car without involving the bank, the insurance companies, petroleum, manufacturing, so, you know, it, advertising. So it, it, it was the strategic thing. And you're saying, used to be, Dave, uh, as GM goes, so goes the country. Well, GM's not the powerhouse that it once was, but as our industry goes, so goes the country. Do you think Look, I'm sold on my industry? Do you think I'm sold on my industry? 100%. 100%. Yeah.
1: Well, the other thing is, too, guys, and here, here's the thing, right? Now, granted, there's some people in here that are more service-based, right? And either way, the beautiful thing about what I'm hearing from, from both of you in, in the car industry, but as well as the service industry, is you have to have purpose. And just for a second, I'm going to make a point And then I, I we have somebody, Nisha, who wants to jump in as well. I'm going to pass the mic over to her real quick just to get another perspective. But either if it's, it doesn't matter if it's product-based, service-based, whatever, I think the underlying thing is you have to know your purpose as a salesperson. Right. How, how are you part of something bigger than yourself? Again, when I hear you talk, Brian, about your team, like I almost imagine, you know, again, I've never been there and one day I will. But I imagine walking into the dealership and every single salesperson has that Notre Dame, uh, a, a Notre Dame type banner, right? They all slap and and they're all feeling like they're part of a team. There's something bigger than just the car industry. It's it's we're affecting lives of the of the state, the country. Like I remember my first my first sales job. Uh, one of them anyway, was was selling for in for-profit education. I would sell education, basically, right? And it was a trade school. It was one of the largest massage schools in the country, and it was my first job. And I, I won't lie to you, when I first got that job, not that I struggled. I did pretty well, and I'm probably within the first month or so, was like top three in the country in selling. I'd never really sold before that. But I gotta be honest with you, I got bored really fast and I don't, I didn't think I was gonna make it past like six months simply because I didn't I didn't connect the dot between what we were doing. I'm like, we're just a massage school. We're just uh we're just then then that shift came when I talked to a parent actually from they were from Detroit, like me. I'm originally from Michigan, and it was a single mom, and the, and then I had this connection between my past and their current situation. Right? They had just been evicted, they had moved to Arizona to get then I was thinking about my life with my mom and I saw almost like myself and this kid and I spent normally it was called an interview right but it was our sales our sales call if you will would last you know usually about an hour I was with this particular people for three hours granted obviously my boss was like hey Raylan that's a real long time to (laughs) <laughs> to make sure you get a sale, but it was in that moment I found the purpose for what I what I was doing there and that purpose well, I literally put it in my head call me crazy. But I said, if I do not enroll this student, if this student does not enroll, I don't know if they'll have like they will be any type of success. I believed in what we we're doing so much that I said, if they don't enroll today, they might as well go out there and and, and, and seal their future Now again, this is a crazy thought. But that's why I stayed on it so long. That's why I was like, no, we have to do that. Really? Hey, listeners,
4: if you enjoy listening to Breakfast with Champions, we can bet you care about your daily routine. Do you want to know the secret to the perfect routine? It's the perfect morning. Glenn has written a free ebook called The Morning Five Five Simple Steps to an Extraordinary Morning. You can transform your morning. You can transform your life. Head on over to the 5.com to learn more about the five ways you can change the way you start your day.
1: It's, yes, that's,
2: that's, here's something else. I feel like my role today is to just amplify, amplify, amplify. I don't want things to get glossed over, lost on people. There are so many people that have their own business, their own product. They've got their own manufacturing plant. They've put together a plan. They've put together all the money they, they have this dream they want to fulfill and they've gone all in, all in when it comes to the financial side, when it comes to putting in the work, but yet they don't actually at the core of core believe at that level in their own product. You're talking about that level of belief in some third party solution that yeah. you believe that your heart and soul is going to be transformative. It's literally a mission. Of yours to change this person's life not to get a commission but to yes. change that person's life and that's something called the law of indirect effort says which is which is exactly what zig ziglar said the law of indirect effort says you get more through indirect means in your life than direct means so many people misunderstand that and think i'm just supposed to hit somebody in, in the head knock them out and make a sale that's not the way it is you utilize the law of indirect effort. If What's I the,
1: can transform this kid's life, I will come out winning too. So that's where the, the switch becomes, right? So like that's to your point, Adam, we have a lot of entrepreneurs in here. If there's one thing to believe in yourself and believe in your product, and you could definitely do that, but do you believe that your thing could be the thing that will change someone's life for the better? And in, in my company, when we started, the the purpose statement, really, the thing that I remind myself daily is the entire reason for doing what I do is to help people realize they deserve more. And that's I keep that at the forefront of everything that I do because again, reminds me, if I get on a call, it's it's not about again selling, it's about inspiring them to take action for themselves because they have a message worth sharing. And now I want to go over to Nisha, because Nisha picked me a while ago. Sorry, it took me so long to get to you, Nisha. What say you about about what <laughs> we're talking about right now?
4: Hey Raylan, and hey David, and hey Brian, and hey everybody in the room. First of all, thanks for the opportunity to chime in in the conversation. Um, you know, I, I think it is necessary to eat, to have a, a female perspective as well, um, because oftentimes I think women shy away from sales, right? Like we feel like, oh, it, you got to be so aggressive and you got to be so assertive, and I, I want to kind of change the perspective around you know, who you have to be in selling. And I can do that because I've been in sales for over 10 years um, now. And I got into sales in the pharmaceutical sales industry, which has its own stigma and and sort of bad rap um, from time to time. But what I realized when I got into that industry was that there were products that I could um, sell that would really help particularly people in my community. Right. And so one of them that I sold early on was, um, for Alzheimer's. And when I, when I got the product and I, I knew I was going to have to sell this to physicians and why they should use it for their patients. I researched it, you know, got all the information about it. But then I I tapped into my own personal story. And I had a great uncle at the time who had Alzheimer's. And there was a story once about how we went to dinner. And we were looking for him, and he had went and sat at a table with another family because he didn't realize that that was not his family. And it really showed us the impact of Alzheimer's at that at that moment. And, you know, we got him back to our table, and we all kind of laughed about it. But I think we were sad inside because it's like, oh, I wish there was something for him, so he didn't have to battle this. Well, ultimately, there was something now, it did not you know, change the trajectory of his life, but it did slow down the progression. And so I was able to speak to that on a day-to-day basis and, and and kind of give that hope to physicians to in turn give to families. And so when you talk about selling, there's so many different dynamics. But I think you have to have the belief, I think you have to have the passion, and I think you also have to have the integrity. The integrity is paramount because, you know, when you when we think about certain salespeople, it's like they just sell anything. Like and 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 I don't think that's what you're referencing today. I think you're sell- you, you're all talking about selling the things that you're passionate about, selling the things that folks need, and that you know sometimes people just need to see um, the need in in whatever that they're they're pur- purchasing and be able to talk it out with somebody who is passionate and who has that belief. And so I think that if we are to change this sort of tra- you know paradigm in, re- in regards to sales, and we and we let people know that there's a right way to do it. And we've all run into the salesperson who it's like, they don't even believe in what they're selling. They're terrible, they're just talking and ranting and it's like, there's no passion there. That's not who you wanna be. But when you find that thing that you're passionate about that you can sell effortlessly, right? Um, And that you really, really believe in, then folks will come, people will buy and I think people's lives will change as a result of whatever it is that you choose to sell. But you have to have that as the foundation. So that's now, my let me, share. Let me, let me ask you a brain. question.
3: Mm-hmm. Have you ever called a business and you could tell by the way the person answered the phone that they didn't like their job?
4: Yes, all the time. Yeah, we, we, we,
3: we've we <laughs> all experienced that. And, and, and we, we have a natural BS meter on us. And we can tell when someone's not sincere. And and so so a thousand times, you know, one of the sales drills we used to do back in the days, we'd call 10 different car dealerships. And we, we, we you could tell so much about the business by something as simple as the person answering the phone. Who do you put in the front line? And they were like, what? There's no, there's no. They don't like where they are. Everybody's entitled to a bad day, right? But you can, you can tell so much about somebody. And when, when you believe that what you're doing is good, when you, when you have that passion, uh, it it, it comes through even over the telephone. Now imagine in person, when you can see their body language, you can see their facial intonations, you can hear their words, you can hear their tone of voice. Your your receptors are picking up everything. In that in the in that millionth of a second that that takes and, and people unfortunately or fortunately will be forming a decision uh, or, uh, and an opinion based on that you know they, they, what's it saying uh, uh, God, God looks at you from the inside everybody else looks at you from the outside and, and so you want to make sure that you're sold and you you believe that and that, that that comes from the inside not from the outside
1: well Brian I mean, and yeah. also Nisha sorry, sorry David um, no go to one of the things that I, I think it's also important that Nisha kind of mentioned as well in there is to some level you do, ha- it's this weird balance. And I, I want us to talk about this for a sec because it's an interesting dichotomy. You gotta go back and forth on, which is detaching from the outcome. And it's hard to really like conceptualize, but the, the idea is even if you get a no and you will get several thousand if you're good, <laughs> but but the idea is, is it doesn't matter if you get a no. You have to put the intention in the forefront, right? following up doing these things and letting go of, of, of the outcome i remember hearing uh, somebody talk a while ago this guy named dean jackson and he was doing a a a a, a, uh, a podcast because i love marketing and he was talking about and granted it's not necessarily sales it's a little bit marketing but they were talking about how every single year they would do this white paper in real estate they would send out the uh, this white paper uh, to these homes that they wanted to sell and this beachfront property uh, like multi multi-million dollar homes and every single a uh, year they send this huge white paper about like here's what um you know the insights of your home all these things and they did this for this guy for almost 10 years 10 years they did this and they stopped sending them to him because they're like okay this guy's not gonna sell anytime soon and, and it clearly he hasn't taken action so you know let's get him off the list well a few months later the the guy calls uh the company that was doing it and goes where the hell is my white paper at i'm trying to sell my house i want to So so the interesting thing, the reason why I bring up that story is you can't know for certain. It's weird. You can influence in sales, but you can't control. And that means you can't control if they're going to buy or not, but you can influence. And I think that to some degree you have to let go of the outcome, but be uh, relentless, if you will, on the pursuit of changing that person's life. And by the way, real quick before you jump in, David, I also want to mention anybody here. Uh, I I posted a link up top. So I did a YouTube training a while ago. For those that don't know, I have a YouTube channel that I basically do like free training for coaches. And so if you are in the service industry and you're like, hey, I wanna go through uh, sales training, it's literally free, just go click and subscribe and all that fun stuff. David, what say you? Well, a couple things. I I coined
2: an expression when I uh, was early, early on as a manager uh, in the 80s. in the car business, and uh, it was commission breath, and I coined that because I wanted to create a very visual, impactful way for my sellers at the time to understand uh, how terminal it was, and and why it was wrong to be focused on the outcome. Exactly what you just said, right? If, if all you're focused on is the commission. Then I then what I was telling them what I was sharing with them for all those years is that's going to give you commission breath. What's that mean? Well, you know, Brian asked a question of Nisha a little while ago. Have you ever had that situation where you call somebody up and they clearly hate what they do for a living? Um, but you also, all of us have been in that situation. Uh, it could be in a, in a mattress store, it could be in a furniture store, it could be in a dealership, it could be in anything. insurance where somebody had commission breath, meaning, It literally was like you could sense that all they cared about was the commission. And when you think about this, guys, as a consumer, when you've been in that situation, what is your natural reaction to commission breath, Raylan. You put your hands up, not physically, but mentally, you put your hands up and you start to back away. You wanna get away from this person as quickly as you can. In fact, here's the optimal example is the timeshare, right? Somebody goes to a resort and they say, hey, we'll give you a free breakfast. All you have to do is listen to this 30 minute, 45 minute. And it's a timeshare. And these people flat have the worst commission breath. And so that's another really important ingredient. When you think about the outcome, then you're putting yourself and that commission ahead of taking an interest, a real personal, uh, 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 authentic interest in providing to your client that which they need and it's in those moments that you are actually uh, eroding your income you're actually tearing down your career you're you're actually putting yourself in the wrong direction and so it's really really important that you stay focused completely on the needs of your client and not the commission itself brian hey david
4: this? david i just wanted to say something about what you show by the
2: way i just have to say you got sold big time on the green bay packers i'm
4: just gonna say that (laughs) (laughs) i definitely got sold on the green bay Packers. i love them i love them still um but one thing you just said that just oh i i was like you hit it on the head here so i remember we moved to maryland and um we were at a furniture store and we were looking for um um, a mattress. And so I described specifically what I wanted to this lady. Okay. She continued to try to sell me on something completely opposite of what I told her I wanted. And I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, ma'am, I, but I just told you, this is what I need. And I need to get, you know, the, these are the characteristics of this mattress that I want. And she's like, no, but this one is perfect because and then I realized she wasn't trying to sell me what I wanted. Right. She was trying to sell me what she needed me to buy. That's different. And Bingo. when I realized that I'm like, okay, she's not the person. So we got to get out of here. When I tell you this lady, so she would, she checked in every two seconds. And that was annoying. Cause it's like, give us a second to assess, you know, and, and try to figure out what we want. But she just kept appearing. And finally we literally had to come up with a strategy to like leave the store uh, before she came back. So literally we were running out of the store <laughs> to get away from this lady because she kept coming back. I'm like, this is the type of salesperson you never want to be. She never listened to me. She never, she didn't hear me. It was all about her agenda. And I think in sales, we have to put aside our agenda, right. And listen to what folks want. Ultimately, if you listen to what people want and you can serve their need, your need ultimately gets met. But it's not about us. It's about the customer. This is Nisha. Nisha,
2: don't you think in, in those moments, and you know, I, I went through an exercise with my group coaching uh, call class a, a couple months ago, and I just asked them to recall the worst consumer experiences of their life and also to recall the best experiences of their life. There's a hot mic somewhere. But the, the reason I asked them to do that, it's such a wonderful and simple exercise when you When you recall the worst experiences uh as a consumer of your life, like Nisha just did, it is such a great reminder of literally everything not to do Now I come from the- from the uh from the camp. I have the belief that no matter where I am in life or what I'm doing, there is a learning somewhere in there and If I go and have a horrible experience, I just learn something and and whether it's something I already knew and it just validated over for me or something I didn't know, but you can learn. So if you think about a horrible experience like Nisha mentioned, trust me, number one, that's not selling, that's pushing, that's commission breath. When you think about the, the preeminent or the best experiences of your life, think about how those people made you feel. There's two kinds of product in life, things that people, uh, that you want to buy, things you want to buy, and things that have to be sold. Things that have to be sold are things that you don't understand, you don't like, you don't believe in, it's not gonna fit your needs. Okay, That's not selling, somebody's pushing something on you. But when it's something, when somebody does it in a way that it causes you to want to know more, want to learn more, um, that's creating this this desire to buy. And it's so funny because think think about this, everybody the act of buying is is the process is oftentimes emotional but the actual purchase is logical and we actually employ people as consumers employ both sides they want to get excited but they also want to make sure that they're not going to make a mistake with their own money and so when you do what Raylan was doing earlier and you really believe that you're going to transform this person's life when you do what nisha said And you believe that you're going to transform a family to have a little bit more quality time when you do what Brian said, you know, for for his people and with his people, that you're going to improve these people's lives and give them five or eight or 10 years of incredible mobility. You know, you're not selling. What you're doing is you're educating and you're getting people excited about moving in a direction towards something that is going to make their life better, not your
1: life better. And when you do that, now you get what you're looking for. In order to do this, we have to talk about one of the key skills, and if not the most important skill in sales. And I'm willing to put up my, my neck here and say this, which is empathy, which it's interesting because we talk a Everyone talks a lot about empathy, but how empathetic are you really? And there's it, the same kind of exercise that that, you know, I take my, my clients through is you have to remember even the ones that are not ready to take action right now, can you be empathetic to truly understand where they're at and walk you know a mile in their shoes and then go through that? Like there's this thing, and again, marketing does it very well as well, but you have to be able to sit and imagine, okay, your person right now, what, what are they feeling? What are they experiencing? What is the limiting beliefs that they have and what's going on in their lives? If they do buy, what are those things? I used to call it um the, the post close, right? I think most salespeople really struggle with this, which is, somebody buys inevitably there's going to be even if it's really small there's going to be a moment of oh, crap what did i just do <laughs> right like everyone did i make the right choice and you have remarkable yes and you have to have that moment uh with them to be empathetic and actually go hey you might be feeling this way and i got you which then brings me to this right so we have empathy we all know it's incredibly important the other thing what's interesting is the reason to get into sales today, and even if you're like, I don't have anything to sell, Raylan. Like I'm, I, I, you know, I do fulfillment. I work at a factory. I do this. I do that. Here's why it's more important than ever today: is the world in which we live in. Everyone, if you notice, if you want to see bad sales, notice how people push their beliefs on others. Just watch, right? Because that is the literally the opposite of good sales. They yell at you. They tell you, Hey, this is the way that things have to be. and Da da da. So instead, how do you? Sell someone on your idea. To going back to what David mentioned earlier, or Brian rather brought up, which is seller be sold. The idea of the fact that you you are a salesperson, you have an idea, you want someone to have that idea too. You have to sell them, and so you have to learn how do you bring somebody to an idea that they feel like this their own, right? The idea of Inception, which arguably I think is the greatest sales movie of all time, the movie Inception. like i really do and and the reason why it's so good is because again you can't make someone have an idea you have to plant the seed and allow them to come to the idea themselves my
3: favorite technique leading somebody
1: to discovery yes
3: leading some leading somebody to discovery because
1: then they own it because
3: they discovered it
1: it's their idea it's theirs so when we go back to even just not even talk about selling something let's go to selling ideas if you believe the world should be a certain way or you believe something it takes the way to ensure that no one's going to come to your side is to force it on them am i wrong yeah you're no you're you're not wrong and you know
2: when you when you think about something uh, that you've purchased again in your life. Think about something that you went out and you bought and that you ultimately made that decision. Decision, uh, And when, when and Brian said something really important because this applies to business too. We think of selling in the traditional sense that you're selling somebody a product or a service, but you also as a leader, you know, the difference between a manager and a leader is a very thick line, um, but it's it's a hard line for a lot of people to cross. A manager, you know, tends to think, uh, in terms of tasks, right? In terms of day to day actions, they tend to think about the in the inputs, right? What do I have to do? You have to make so many calls. You have to do so many follow ups. You have to do this. A leader thinks about outcomes. You know, what is the result? A leader thinks about things from the term of a vision. And in order to be a great leader, you've got to be able to be good at selling. To be good at selling. You have to be able to do what Brian said. If you're gonna be successful as a leader, you need to allow your team, your leadership team, your management team, your executive team, and ultimately your entire team to be able to go to that point of discovery, to have that epiphany, to have that sense of excitement. You know, when, when, and you know, when you have great leadership speeches, it kind of wells up inside you, as he was saying earlier, and you wanna go out there and you wanna run through the wall for that particular leader. Well and somebody could say you got sold but the reality is nope you actually purchased you bought it you went in yourself all in because you believed and they in they what,
3: own percentage. the idea they own and that's the, concept. the key brian they own, the, they've the got their leaders let the, the the people put their fingerprints all over the idea yes and take ownership of it and then when they own it they don't have to be resold because they own it. It's my idea, and now they're defending it as if it were their idea. And the, the really good leaders lead you to discovery, and, and you know you, you you'll you you'll get somebody to try a technique, or you'll lead them to the technique, and they'll use the technique, and they'll come back up to the desk and they'll say, "Look what I did!" <laughs> and you sit there and you just smile. Yeah, That's amazing. That's pretty cool. Wow. <laughs> you know, Brian.
2: <laughs> You're you're uh, you're in my demographics. You remember a show called uh, Hogan's Heroes, where every week, uh, these prisoners Klink. of war, uh, led by by Colonel Hogan, uh, Colonel Hogan would brilliantly, brilliantly every week, he's in this concentration camp uh, in a concentration uh, prisoner of war camp, and he and he would plant an idea in the mind of Colonel Clink, which Colonel Clink by the end of the episode would make it his idea. And you know Hogan would famously always say, "Sir, may I say you're absolutely brilliant." But in each case, he was simply at planting an idea, allowed Clint to discover that, to take ownership of it, and then from that point forward, you couldn't stop him. And that really is the way things happen from a leader's perspective. And you said something else that's important: a leader doesn't, a leader encourages that; they want that. Whereas a manager sometimes has insecurity. And they want to have the idea be all their own. They well, want a unilateral
3: well, well, approach. Well, 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 so so maybe I can, in my, my uh, world, uh, managers manage uh, people through activities, right? That's a manager. Leaders manage people through vision. And the vision's so much more uh, impactful than the activities, but you need both, right? You absolutely need okay. both because without the activities, the vision is not going to get you there. But the the vision inspires people, and you know, and a, a good leader, uh, you know, in, 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 that you know, the three E's in vision. Here's here's where I see the industry, the company. Uh, us, we going in the future. Then the, the then the second E of course is energized and to get people energized around that thought. And usually the way you get people energized about anything is always discuss what's in it for them, right? What's in it for them. And, and, and then the, the third is the execution part. The third E is the execution. So if you think of a great speech and I, you know, again, I have I have a dream, right? That's really, I have a vision. Here's the vision man. that one day, right? We're, we're going to be judged not by the color of our skin, but, but the, you know, by the content of our hearts. Or I don't remember the line off the top of my head, but, but, but that, that. so that's really the, the energizing part of it. And, 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 and like, what's in it for you? Hey, I'm going to be judged by not by the, my color of my skin, but what I do and my, the content in my heart and my soul, I can be judged like that. Oh my God, I'm in on that. And then the execution. Here's what we got to do. Here's what we got to do. But it starts out with the, I have a dream, right? And and this is in business. I'm I'm certainly not uh, uh, minimizing or trying to equate MLK with simply sales. But he was a master orator. And he spoke in a cadence, in in a quick cadence. You can hear eight times faster than you can speak. So his cadence was quick, you know, and, and it was, and it was, it, it was decisive and he would take hours to write out a sentence. This wasn't accidental. And the same thing with, 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 um, what was the thing, Churchill it would take, it would take an hour to write a paragraph and go over and go over it and go over it. Very, very, uh, intentional in, in what they were going to say. And, and, and then how do you influence people guys? There's only three ways, right? Words, Tone of voice uh, and body language, words, body language, yeah. tone of voice and body language. And we all know the words are the least important part of that 7%, right? It's the, it's the body language and the tone of voice that count in influencing people. The Words don't get me wrong. Or you say, you can say all oh, the wrong words the right way. It's not going to get you home but when you can combine the right words in the right sequence with a passion and a body language and tone of voice and oftentimes, david I, I i'm accused of being monotone 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 and then all of a sudden oh the voice goes up oh it goes down and I'm, I, I, it's a technique and i'm not even using it as a technique but it's a technique i've developed over time to say hey now you need to pay attention over there this is, this is bringing you along and that now there's a, a reason. I mean what I'm saying. Do you understand that? I mean what I'm saying. It's important what we're talking about here. It's our lives. It's our livelihoods. And, you know, and like that. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. One of the things too, though, Brian, that that brings me to you two, you know, David and, and you as well, Brian, is, is one thing that you don't have that a lot of people do have that really holds them back is is their ego a willingness to learn and brian you talk to igno at uh, a nauseam about the idea of self-mastery and i think that's one of probably again one of the a key components to being really really good at this thing called we call sales because i remember recently i i had a i was working one of my clients has a has a has a product or an offer that essentially brings sales leaders together and, and you know they do essentially like a mastermind so i was there auditing it so i can figure some things out for them and one of the things I noticed there was one in particular one sales leader in particular He's the vice president of the of sales the entire time he refused to admit he had any problems. He refused to admit that he could it's almost he couldn't even see that he had any problems in his leadership.
3: Pardon me. For, could you imagine, No, if, could you imagine if Donald Trump had an iota of humility how impactful he could be. Absolutely. And, and because, because he can't admit ever, and humility is nothing uh, more than the ability to say uh, I, perhaps I could have done it better. And I, you know and I and I, I beat the stuffing out of myself all the time because I know, you know I probably could have done it better. And you know and, and, and so when you were speaking about someone not being able to admit that they may have made a mistake. Uh, you know, I think most people most Americans are pretty flexible when someone throws themselves on the sword and says, I I screwed up. I thought this and that happened, you know, maybe the opposition side, maybe the press won't back off, but people are generally pretty forgiving. But when someone gets up there and says, I'm right all the time, I never make a mistake. I'm it's such a turnoff. And whether that be a leader a political candidate, a boss, a spouse, you know, you know, it's enough already, you know, admit sometimes it could have done it better.
2: Well, Brian, you, you bring up something else, too, that that anybody that I've ever known who is great at sales and you're one of those people, you just brought up something um, you're the you're you have that humility. You don't mind saying, yeah, uh, we could have done it better. I could have done it better. But you're also insatiable. Um, you and this is not a bad word. It's a good word. In other words, you know, Ali Rita won't ever think that he's there. In other words, the salespeople that misunderstand selling, they think you get to a certain point and then you stop and then they amplify themselves. In fact, you could we could always there's always a joke, uh, Raylan, in our business, auto business, when you're interviewing a salesperson, you say, well, how much did you make last year and they pull out of their wallet the paycheck stub from the greatest paycheck they've had in their life, and they multiply that times 12. Okay. and we know better than that. The best salespeople are constantly working on themselves. The best salespeople constantly have their finger pointed inward. The best salespersons never make a mistake. In fact, uh, and Brian knows this, if you were to find the number one salespeople for every one of the brands that are in the United States of America, virtually none of them are in major metro areas. Many of them, if not most of them, are in rural areas or smaller towns. They don't have the best technology. They don't have uh, a huge advertising budget. They don't have this massive presence on the Internet, but they just figure it out. They, if they understand that they learned how to it hunt, to be, it's up to me.
3: Yes, they learned thank you. how to hunt. You yes. know, I, I, many years ago, I was in Bordeaux, France, and I was in a basement in a wine cellar in the basement. And it was deep under the side of the, the hill, and there, there were. Uh, it was the walls were kind of slimy with mold, and there were all these like wires running along the wall. And I'm like, gosh, you can't have electrical wires uh, in, in an environment like this. And the guy said, No, it's silly. That's those aren't wires; those are vines. It's the vines. How did they get the ceiling? Is made out of cement. And he says, Well, the vines uh, go in search of water. And in order to get the water, because we're on a hill, the vines have to go deep. And when the vines go deep, the grapes are great. They have to work for it. And so I always wondered why why are the best vineyards in the world on hills? Because the water runs off of the hills, and the vines, in order to get the nutrients, have to grow deep. And when they grow deep, they grow strong, and the nutrients in the grapes and the wine tends to be, much, much better, which is why the flatlands of Long Island, you know, the wine's okay, but it's never going to be like California or, or any of the great chateaus. And, 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 I, and I realize sometimes, and this is a problem with Paragon, sometimes we make it so easy for customers, for salespeople to get customers, that some of the salespeople, their vines never need to grow deep because you go down a little bit in the soil and there's a customer, just a little bit, and, and there's a customer. And it's only through the struggle. It's only through the digging. It's only through the burrowing. Those vines, David Spiesek, those vines went through stone it's, to it's, get to, it's, through the cracks it's, in it's, stone it's, I mean, to get the, the the moisture. Wrap your braid around and, and that. It's Crazy. And wait, they went through the little cracks. They ran down the wall. Wait, they didn't stop when they got down. They ran down the wall to the base of the floor to find the next crack to go even lower, to get the nutrients. Right. And, and so, you know, we've I've used this analogy, you know, before sometimes uh, we can make it too easy. When you're saying most of these great salespeople don't come from the Metro markets because, customers, despite what we may think, are plentiful in the metro market. So your vine doesn't need to go too deep to run into somebody. You know, And in, in sales, it's all about turns at bat. We we have a lot of turns at bat, but I would imagine if you're in I Idaho, uh, there, there are going to be less turns at bat than there would be in Manhattan, New York.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I used to go through a process with every dealership I worked at where because... Every dealership, literally, uh, Raylan, in America, you could walk in and if you talk to the sales managers, we're not spending enough in advertising. That's why we're not hitting our numbers. We're just not spending enough money in advertising. We need to spend more in advertising. That's going to get more traffic, more leads, blah, blah, blah. And what I would do in turn is I would say, all right, all right. Well, then I would go do some digging. To Brian's point, I would find out how how much traffic you're getting currently, how many leads are getting currently. I would take those leads, uh, multiply it, uh, times the, uh, the average dollar that they're making for a new car used car. I would take it times their current conversion rate and that would give me the money that they're making right now. But then if I elevate their conversion rate to what it should be, to what it, even an average store, above average store was doing, they would not only in every case hit the dollar figures they were chasing, they typically would go double that, two times that. So it turned out, to Brian's point, they were they were spending plenty enough money in advertising. They just weren't willing to work as hard as those vines work to get through that stone to be able to find that water. They weren't willing to do that, and that's another important piece. So,
3: is you so have isn't to be relentless. so isn't the struggle necessary and isn't 100%. it beneficiary? Absolutely. So any of us in sales that are struggling, that's a that's a really good thing. Hey, when does the lion stop hunting? Uh, in, in a couple of days before it dies, because when you stop hunting, you're dead. And so that that's the other mis- mis- mistake that many people make. They think that this there's a, an end on this. Well, if I sell for a couple of years, I'm done. You got to get out there and earn it every day, every single day.
1: And that's where you can do self imposed struggle, right? Where it, imagine, especially speaking to the entrepreneurs here, what would you do differently if you only could attract a certain amount of Uh, a leads per month or per year. What would you do differently? What if starting literally today, you couldn't get another lead? You only ones only thing you had was the people you had today. How would your customer experience change? How would your sales experience change? And arguably my final point would be that if you really want to stand out as a company, as a as an entrepreneur, the best way to stand out is to start selling differently david brian as always amazing segments thank you all for for tuning in checking us out and contributing thank you nisha um david any final points before we pass it off to i don't know who's next
2: actually yeah i i I think selling selling is so um it's so misunderstood um it's so underrated it's so misunderstood it's so important you sell in your relationship you sell to your kids if you're in clergy you're selling to your to, to uh, the, the people in your church. If you're a nonprofit, you know, you're know you selling. And, and if you're doing it the right way, you're uplifting people, you're improving people's lives, you're transformative in nature, and you will get what you want in the long run. That's what you have to believe. And lastly, if somebody hits me up on LinkedIn, I, I did a whole class on the, on the art and science of, of sale, selling, and I'll be happy to send that deck to anybody uh, who hits me up on LinkedIn messaging if you do Instagram, that's fine too, but you got to follow me, please. Not because I want you to follow me as much. I'm, I'm not begging for followers, but unfortunately, the messages go into a black hole unless you follow somebody first. So happy to do that for somebody. Thank you for leading the conversation, Raylan. Brian, as always, a uh, pleasure and an honor uh, to, to hang out with you. I'm
3: brushing my teeth. I don't want to have commission breath
2: commission breath
3: (laughs) Mm, it's bad it's it's not good for business
2: commission breath hashtag commission breath today people all right thanks rayland